We're opening up a brand new series this weekend. It's called Rooted. And I'm so excited about Rooted. And there's two really key parts to Rooted. One will be the messages on Sunday to sort of get us rooted into this week. But the real key to the Rooted series is the Wednesday night Bible study or Thursday night or Tuesday morning, wherever your Bible study is. It's the Bible study. We're all going to do the same book, this Rooted book. And there's seven rhythms of Rooted. And they're going to pop up here on the screen. And as you look at these seven rhythms of Rooted, the Bible studies are the key to where these things happen, the daily devotion, the, the time where we come together and we just continue to go deep and be rooted in who God has made us to be. And that's what this series is about. Are we rooted in who God is? And today I get to speak on the first two subjects of this book, how God speaks to us. But before I do that, I just want you to see one more testimony of being involved in a Bible study and this series called Rooted. Check out this video. So I started to attend French Church. I heard about Rooted, and I really, really wanted to sign up because I felt like my heart was drawing me to that. It was pretty much my first ever kind of Bible study. The first Wednesday, I'll be honest, I didn't go. I was nervous. I felt that I wasn't Christian enough, or I didn't know enough about the Bible, or people were going to judge me on, I don't know, not growing up with Jesus in my life. I just had a lot, a lot of insecurities. The Rooted book, someone gave it to me the next day, and it's just like, you know, we still want you there. And that night, I actually read the entire week one in that one night, and I was crying. I felt like this is what I'm supposed to do. I, I need to go. So the next Wednesday, I went, and just from that Wednesday, people started sharing their stories about their relationship with God, how, where they are now in it, and I just was so amazed and just so inspired by their authenticity and also just openness. I felt like I wasn't as scared anymore. I started becoming really close with these people and it was just something I really can't explain, but I actually felt accepted from individuals that I had just met and that's never happened to me before in my life. All right, so if you're not in a group yet today after service, make sure you go out and sign up. You need to be, that's really going to be the key to this series, Connecting, is what we do in these Bible studies throughout the week. So what I want to jump into is who is God and how does he speak to us? It's the first two chapters of Rooted. If you're anything like me, when you start to think about prayer, you come to church and they're talking about prayer. And it's always like this power of prayer and how awesome prayer is and then you go in your room, and you begin to pray, and you, it just seems like you're alone in that room, and your prayers are hitting the roof. And you just kind of, at some point, maybe not everyone, but at some point, you're in this place where you're thinking, prayer is supposed to be supernatural. I'm supposed to be feeling something like intense because I'm talking to God. And the way that the pastor speaks about prayer, like it, I should feel like lightning just penetrating the room as I'm talking. And that's not what I'm feeling. And I started to explore that thought early in my life of why, what is the deal with prayer? How is God speaking to me? And what am I supposed to be feeling? And when I came across the disciples throughout the Bible and the way that they prayed, I saw something very different in the style that they prayed versus how I was praying. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, we come across this man by the name of Paul, and he's writing a letter, 
and he's writing it to the church of Ephesus. Now, this is about A.D. 60, and Paul has been on a journey for quite a time. And Paul was the original church planter of this church. He's the missionary to this area. And everything about Paul and this church, he should have been excited to go there, but he couldn't because he was in prison. And I thought about this, this situation in which he's writing this letter. He's sitting in this prison cell, and he's writing this letter going, I want to be there. I have given my life to God. I have everything I have done in this world has been for God. And here I am sitting in prison. How many of us have been in those moments where we're sitting in a prison, if you will, of some kind, and you're going, God, I have given my life to you, and yet this is my scenario right now. This is, this is what I am stuck with. How could that be when I have given all of myself to you? And I just imagine that Paul would have those thoughts, but that's not the prayer he lifts up for this church. It's not what you hear coming out of his heart. Listen to how he prays. He says this, Ever since I heard about your faith, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. He's in a prison giving thanks for what God has done, especially with this church in Ephesus. I keep asking God that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Listen to the power of his prayer and the confidence that he prays because he doubles down on, on this all the way through. He says this next, that power, that power that you have is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Now he doesn't stop there. He continues praying with this powerful prayer. He says this, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now as you read that and you hear that, does that sound like our prayers? Do we pray like this, praying this, this power, this power that God has to do things for others and ourselves? Do we pray like that? Or do we find that most of our prayers sound a little bit more like we just sat down in a restaurant? We've opened up our menu, and we begin to look at our options. And God walks up, and we go, are there any specials? Um, today I would like, how about this? this and a little side of this. You know, that, that's sort of how we're praying to God. And we write these, these connect cards. I've been around long enough to see a lot of connect cards, 25 years plus of connect cards. And on these prayer requests, they, they kind of sound like that, which is totally fine. I'm not bagging anyone in the way you're writing your prayer requests. I'm just saying, do we go deeper like we see the disciples going? Or does it sound like sometimes it's a genie God? And we rub the lamp, and God shows up when we're praying, and we say, okay, here's my wishes. And what's weird is when you watch movies about genies, right, they always have three wishes, and one of the first things they always say is, okay, you can't wish for more wishes. Because that's what we would all do. Okay, I want a thousand wishes. But what, what's weird is with God, we don't give him that same rule book. 
With God, whatever we were praying when we were 12, and we've prayed 13 and 14, all the way up, we've, we've continued to be wish after wish after wish. Those wishes have never stopped. Some of you are wishing more than three times a day for something. It's the parking spot. It's the guy next to you to just fly off a cliff. You know, it's all those things that we're just praying and praying and praying. It's just wishes to our genie with no limit to the wishes. Some of us treat God as just that lucky rabbit's foot in our pocket. As long as I have God in my life, everything's going to be all right. He's my, my lucky charm. Or it's the cop God. He sits on our shoulder just making sure that we're doing right and not doing wrong. We don't want a ticket from God. And we don't want to mess up. So we just continue to say, okay, God is watching. God is in this. So, okay. And we just we treat him like he's cop God keeping us from doing bad. And there's little pieces of that just layered in all of our lives. But as we read the Bible and we discover who God is to the disciples, that's not how they pray. They don't, they don't have that kind of prayer life with him. What did, what did Paul say to this church of Ephesus? He starts by heaving on thankfulness for them. And the key to that is that he's writing while he's in prison. So whatever our situation is, since you're here, I'm going to say you're probably not in prison right now. But whatever our situation is, whatever you're feeling like the world's coming down on you, in the midst of being in prison, we see this man write, I am so thankful. I am so thankful. And he says it over and over and over again. And I see disciples over and over and over talk about their thankfulness in the midst of running for their lives. Stones are being thrown at them. They're being pulled out of cities and beaten and they're writing about thankfulness in their prayers. We see this wisdom and revelation being talked about in their prayers. But it's not the type of wisdom I hear a lot of people pray. A lot of people pray Solomon's wisdom in their life because they really like Solomon's wisdom. See, early in the Bible when Solomon prayed, God asked him, whatever you want you can have, and he prayed for wisdom. And so God was so impressed with the idea that he asked for wisdom that he gave him everything else. And so now all of us are saying, Lord, I also pray for wisdom because I also want that same coolness that everything else comes along with it. But that's not the same type of prayer the disciples prayed. The wisdom that they prayed for is that they would, that the people would know God even more. They kept saying, I want you to understand the revelation of who God is because the more you know him, the more you discover him, the more you experience him, the better it's going to be. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. That's a prayer saying, I want you to have so much wisdom that you know God so well that you begin to experience him the way he's supposed to be experienced. And you begin to experience the power of God. What, what power does he call on? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's the power that he wants them to experience. Do we call on this type of power? And then he speaks about the heavenly realms, knowing that this whole world, there is a heavenly realms that is part of it. And that we can be a part of that and know that and experience that in our prayers. That we can understand that this God is the very God that gives us life ourselves that we are in the midst of the heavenly realms 
and God is moving among us. When we begin to pray like this and understand who we're praying to and how we're, how we're supposed to talk to a God, it begins to change us. We begin to speak of him not as genie God, but as Lord God, as the God who gives us breath in our every move. One time Moses is walking and talking to God. And Moses asked God, God, what should I say your name is? What is your name? And God looks at Moses and tells him, my name, tell them that I am the Lord. And when you look at this word Lord, okay, it's 6,000 times throughout the Bible he uses this phrase Lord. But if you look at the Hebrew, this word, this word for Lord is actually spelled Y-H-V-H. And this Y-H-V-H sounds, they sound like breath sounds. They would be kind of like the vowels of the Hebrew language. And the vowels, the way they work in the Hebrew language, is this breathy sound that goes in between the consonants. So if you even said that name, which by the way, they would try and say it as Yahweh, but they wouldn't even say that because they thought this name was so spiritual, so powerful that you're not even supposed to say it out loud. And if you did, it would just sound like your breath coming out of your mouth. And so every time that this phrase is used as Lord, it would sound like, like it would sound like your breath. It would sound like every time you want to say the name of the Lord is every time breath comes out of your mouth. And what I wonder is if that's the very thing God was telling Moses. I am the breath sounds coming out of your mouth. I am the very thing that is giving you life. When you're born in this world and you are given life, you are given that first breath of life. That's me. And when you finally leave this world, your final breath will be that final moment in which you speak my name, and then you pass away. Is that what God was saying to Moses? I am the very breath that comes out of your mouth. In Psalms, we see this, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Why does he say that? Because the breath is the name of the Lord. In Genesis 2-7, it says, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils, what? The breath of life. And man became a living being. In Job 33-4, it says, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Does it start to sound supernatural when you realize that our every breath is saying his name? Like everyone breathe in and then let it go. That's the name of the Lord coming out of your mouth. Do it again. You know, sometimes... You hear these eloquent prayers by people who are really good at it, and they just, they go so fast. I was, <laughs> I'm not going to give an example. I was about to give you an example. I'm not going to, but there's sometimes people will speak so fast and have the most amazing words they use within that speed that you kind of wonder, 
are they actually talking to God? Are they even thinking about God? Because they're, they're talking so much and they're moving so fast that they're not letting God breathe through this prayer. Sometimes I believe what fasting is really about, when we talk about fasting a meal for God, fasting uh, for time, what you're really doing is you're slowing down and realizing that you, the very substance of life is not food. You can live without food, but when you have that hunger pain and you stop and you begin to breathe and think about God, you're breathing out this name of the Lord and you're spending time with him and letting that voice come through. When we talk about solitude, they're always talking about solitude and having time alone with God. What is that really about? It's about stopping and saying, I want to hear the name of the Lord. I want to breathe that name of the Lord. I want to be in silence and let the name of the Lord come through. When we talk about Scripture and you're reading Scripture, you're breathing out the name of the Lord with every word you read. Not only is it coming out of your mouth, but it's coming through your eyes as you read this Scripture. Over and over, God is saying, I am with you. I am the very life coming out of you. Do you see me in everything that you do? Do you hear me in every sound around you? One time, the disciples, they're walking with Jesus. And the disciples were the followers of Jesus. That's what these guys were called. And they would call him the rabbi. And they would say, the rabbi is another word, by the way, for teacher. And what they would say is the dust of the rabbi would be on the disciples because they were following so close. So you have Jesus and the disciples, and they're so close wanting to hear every word of Jesus that the dust is getting on them. They talk about this and how that's how you knew who the disciples were. They were so in love with this teacher and wanted to hear every word that they stayed that close. And I say all that because in Matthew, there's this strange passage of Scripture that starts like this. Because you have so little faith. So Jesus turns to these disciples that have the dust of him on them and says, because you have so little faith. What an interesting way to start this conversation. The very people you would say have the most faith are the ones that Jesus is turning to and saying this next thing to. And he says, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, which I assume is really, really small, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now think through that, because have you ever actually seen a mountain move? I haven't. Now, I haven't seen many mountain ranges or change, any mountains change in some way. I haven't seen that before. And he says, if I have as much faith as a mustard seed, and a mustard seed is extremely small. So is our faith so little, so little that we can't even do this tiny little thing that Jesus is talking about? Now, here's what's so interesting about that story. I think there's more that meets the eye to it. If you go back and you kind of look at this time period, you know who had actually seen a mountain move? These disciples. These actual disciples that Jesus is talking to are the very people that would have seen a mountain move. See, there was this guy back there, and his name was Herod the Great. I'm sure his parents gave him that name. Herod the Great, and he was the king. We first discover Herod the Great earlier in Matthew when he's trying to kill all the babies. 
See, there was this prophecy in which it said there was going to be a new king, and he was going to be the king of all kings, and he was going to be born about this time period. And so Herod the Great decides that, okay, well, if this prophecy's out there, what I'm going to do is kill all the babies two years and younger, and that will take out whoever this prophecy is about. And so that happens, and you can kind of read that story. Jesus makes it through that time period. And we get to Herod the Great later, and we know him throughout history books as this incredible builder. So he's known for Caesarea Maritima, which is this harbor, one of the first of its kind, this massive harbor that he built, and you can read all about it. He's known for Masada, which is basically this fortress built within a mountain. It was just this amazing thing that he built. And then he decides, I want to build another fortress. I want to call it, call it Herodium after myself, but I want it to be so high that all Jerusalem can see it. But more than that, I want my homeland to see it. I want it to be so high that people will see it from where I was born. Problem was, there was a mountain range in the middle of where his homeland was and Jerusalem was where he wanted the fortress. So he takes his slave labor, because he's the king, and basically tells everyone what to do, and tells them to move two little mountains push them together and make this one big mountain. And then he puts his fortress on top of it so everyone can see it. So here's what I think was actually going on in Matthew 15, 33. I think the disciples are walking along with Jesus and they're looking at this mountain and they're seeing it going, man, that's, that's impressive. And I think Jesus looks back, sees them so amazed by something man has done and says, oh, oh, you guys, you have so little faith. And then I think Jesus looks down, and he sees a mustard seed, which apparently are just on the ground. I don't know how this works. But he picks up a mustard seed, and he says, do you realize that if you had this much faith, you could look at that mountain, tell it to move from here to there, and it would do it. That's the conversation I think is actually happening. And that kind of conversation is happening every day in our lives. This is the conversation that God is having with us. How many times throughout the day do people post something on social media, because that's the way everyone talks now. They post something about how amazing someone is or something is, or they talk about how beautiful something is. They'll show a sunset or they'll show their lunch. They just always are talking about just the amazing things of our world. Like the same person will post three times about some amazing cat that does this awesome thing, and we're amazed by it. And I think God is constantly talking to us every second saying, you have so little faith. Do you realize? And then he's looking around, around you and he says, pick up that pebble. Do you realize if you had this much faith, this much faith, you could tell that cat video to move from here to there, and it would do it. This is the kind of conversation God is constantly having with us in our prayer life as we breathe out his name and understand who he is. This is how we speak to him. And he's speaking to us saying, do you realize I am all around you? And all those human achievements, I made that too. Totally. You should totally love and post those incredible things. Some of the things you're posting, I created. Some of the other things that are posted by people doing it, I created that too. 
I created the ability for what you're seeing them do. And I'm glad that you're excited about it. But do you realize that I have given you that same power? And there's so much more that I have for you if you just had this much faith. That's the God we worship. The other night I was in my backyard and I'm looking up at the stars. And I was just so amazed. They were just so bright. The moon wasn't out. And it was like all, the whole sky was lit up. And I was a bit overwhelmed by it. I'm like, my mind was just kind of being blown. I was thinking, man, there's like planets up there. And those planets are bigger than our planet. I don't know why they're even there. I guess someday we're going to live there and have a, like some sort of speed travel. I'm, my mind was just going and running with it. And I'm thinking about the stars and how far away they are and the solar system. And I was just having this moment where I was going, God, this is incredible. This is incredible. I was in awe of who God was, just staring at the sky. And then there was this little gnat that would not get out of my eye. Like it was just right here. And I'm trying to like swat it away as I'm enjoying the solar system. And I'm throwing my hand, which is massive compared to the gnat. And the gnat is in my eye, and I cannot get the gnat from my face. How is that possible that we can't hit the gnat? And then God spoke. It doesn't happen all the time, but God like, said, I am the same God who created all that solar system. I am the same God who created that gnat. And I was like, okay, could you kill the gnat? <laughs> And then he says, I also created you. And if I can create the gnat, and I can create the solar system, I can create you. And I love you, and I love just who you are, and I have so much more for you. And it just, I was just blown away, because I needed to hear that. I needed to hear God say, I love you, I created you, and you're fine just the way you are. But do you know why that moment happened? Because I was sitting in awe of who God was. It wasn't some amazing, eloquent prayer. I wasn't saying the exact right thing. I wasn't typing in my computer the right way that got the right computation to come out to where God finally spoke. No. The moment happened because I just was in awe of who God was. I was treating him as Lord God. Not genie God. Not rabbit's foot God not cop God. I was treating him as Lord God, like the God that would come from my breath, the one that gave me breath to live. Go back to Ephesians. There's two halves to Ephesians. The first three chapters is all about this, the community of believers. And he spends three chapters saying how awesome this is. He's talking to the church of Ephesus. We're talking about Paul here writing from prison, and he's saying how awesome you are how awesome you are. And the same thing he's saying about Ephesus, he's saying about us here at Canyon Hills. This is awesome. And when you come together, and when you help each other, when you love each other, this is awesome. And then he shifts. Chapter 4, 5, and 6 shifts. So in chapter 4, we see this beginning to look at the work of the community. This is about all right, this is awesome, and what you're doing is awesome. Now I've given you purpose. There's a reason you're here. In chapter uh, 4, 
he speaks about this, this concept of, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live worthy of the calling that he has put on you. So he shifts from this beautiful community to say, now live a life that is worthy of what God has given you. Are you living a life worthy of this gift that you've been given? Are you moving in a way that says, God, I am worthy. I am worthy of the power that you've put inside of me. In chapter 5, he says, awake, O sleeper. And he speaks about how often the believers and those that love him and have this beautiful community will be asleep instead of awakening to who God has called you to be and the purpose that he has sent you. Awake, O sleeper. And then chapter 6 is about mounting up, putting on the armor of God. And he goes from peace to peace to peace saying, this is the armor you're going to need as you step out and you live for me. There is a war, there is a battle, there is a heavenly realm that we have to constantly mount up and be ready for. So as we talk about rooted, these are the things that you're rooted in. And this language, you treat God as the Lord God, who has got you in a place that you have people around you. These Bible studies is going to be this communities coming together and loving on each other. But it's also this time when you say, okay, am I ready? Am I ready to fight this battle? Am I mounting up with the spiritual disciplines it takes to move forward? Am I praying in such a way that treats him as the very breath that I breathe? Am I rooted in this God in my life? I hope we are. I pray that we are. Let me pray for you now. As we move forward and the band comes back out, Perhaps some of you are in this room. I need to make God Lord of your life. The Bible speaks of this throughout the Bible. It says in Romans 3.23, we've all fallen short. We're all, we've all made mistakes. We've all messed up. No one comes in here and doesn't have that baggage. But I am here for you. And Jesus died on a cross for you. And as we get to 623, it talks about that, that sin that we have. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And what this means is that we have a choice. Will we accept this Christ moving forward? And a lot of people say no. And then choose a different path. And those decisions... They hit both good and bad. That's why bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. As people choose a different path, we read it in the news, we see it in the news daily. Those decisions cause so much pain. And that pain hits all of us. We're all hit by these different things. And what that means is God is not saying when you accept me, you will be this bubble in which nothing happens to you. No, there's many that say no and those decisions hit us all. What he's saying is, no matter what you face, he will be with you. I will hold you in the good and the bad, and there will be bad. And then Romans 10, 9 says, if you declare it with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
Another passage that talks about if we declare it before man, our God declares it before God in heaven. Or Jesus declares it before God in heaven. So if you're here today and you need to declare this, you need to make a stand and say, I'm going to make you Lord God. No one looking around. I want you to declare it today by raising your hand saying, yes, I need to make this, this decision and make you Lord God of my life. Just raise your hand up and say, that's me. Pray for me. Just lift it up. Leave it up for a second. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. God, I lift up these who want to make you Lord God. Who want to breathe your name. And I just thank you, Lord. I thank you for your scripture. I thank you for your examples. I thank you that Paul, while in prison, can be thankful. God, we, we give you this place. We give you this time. Lord, I pray this final thing over our church. May the spiritual discipline forever change our personal lives as we pray to you and walk with you. And the life of this church, Lord, I pray, honors you in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen.